0: Welcome to Zero Knowledge, a podcast where we explore the latest in blockchain technology and the decentralized web. The show is hosted by me, Anna,
1: and me, Frederick. In this episode, we sit down with Austin and Igor to talk about Bridges, XDAI, and Austin's latest project that ties all of these things together called the Burner Wallet.
0: So, before we jump into this week's episode, I want to again let you know about the Zero Knowledge Summit that's coming up on March 22nd in Berlin. It'll be a day full of workshops, talks, and breakout sessions all about snarks, starks, and zero-knowledge topics. If you are a dev or researcher working on these topics or looking to dive in, please submit an application to attend. The link is in the description. And just FYI, it is a small technical event with limited spots, so be sure to get your application in as soon as possible. Cool. Cool. So now here's our episode on Bridges, XDAI, and the Burner Wallet.
1: Today we have Igor from POA and Austin from Gitcoin Labs, as well as our usual co-host, Anna. Welcome, everyone. Hello. So why don't you guys kick off with introducing yourself, uh, your work, sort of what your background is, and how you got into this space a little bit. Austin, you can go first.
2: Yeah, so I uh, got started just as a, a lowly DApp developer. I built uh, a couple of little games, and as I played with the games, I realized that UX was really clunky. I had to hit yes and MetaMask every time I wanted to drop my, you know, my fishing bait into my fishing game. And so then I started playing around with how we make UX better and how we kind of abstract away gas, and that led me to meta transactions, and then uh, eventually to uh, doing R&D for Gitcoin and then building out uh, the Burner wallet, which is kind of this this web wallet that lives in your browser. And it's kind of helping with onboarding and it makes the onboarding process a lot smoother. And there are some trade-offs there with security because your private keys live in local
3: storage, but we can kind of
2: get into that later. But that's, that's basically my story.
0: And what about you, Igor? What's your story?
3: Uh, I have a long story. Uh, I started in Bitcoin time. I worked as a consultant for several blockchain companies. And uh, I transitioned to a consulting company based in Singapore and helped them to build consortium types of networks. And after that, the the company I I worked for, they closed their blockchain department and we decided to to, to start working on something that we were familiar with and uh, to solve some problems uh, which were interesting. And two years ago we thought about how can we make an Ethereum network with uh, some form of uh, a permissioned consensus, but with a token which can be tradable on exchanges, basically how to make public permissioned network. And uh, our main idea was, can we make something like DAO and put this DAO in as a consensus part? And that's how we coined this idea of the first PoA network, which is what we call PoA core or DAO, with uh, some independent and uh, non-affiliated validators can decide who are validators in this network. And um, as far as I know, it's uh, the first implementation of this type of uh, what we call meta consensus, where we have a layered consensus of underlying BFT consensus, and on top of it, we have this DAO which manages this validator set. This network was launched in December 2017 and uh, in production since then, and gave us tools and the ideas for further experiments.
0: I think it's great to hear where you guys are both coming from. I know that one of the big topics we wanted to start with today was the concept of bridges. I think maybe as a start, you can explain how, because you've explained sort of the POA network idea, but why, why did you need to build bridges?
3: Um, yeah, uh, the idea of, of POA network is to, to have sidechains. Sidechains means uh, new chains uh, with uh, uh, their own state. They operate in public internet and they're not connected to, let's say, main Ethereum network. And when uh, you need, for some reason, to move assets from network to network, you have to use some centralized solutions, as we know, as exchanges. So exchange is is a form of bridge where state of one network is moved into a centralized state of the, of the exchange and, after moved, uh, after some transformation, moved to a decentralized state uh, on another network. So why do we need um, to have bridge for pure network? It's very simple. If you, have, if you ever start a sidechain or a new blockchain and um, you successfully launch it, one of the main questions is, how to get listed this uh, sidechain on exchanges? And uh, this is what usually people don't talk about because it's a recommendation from lawyers to not discuss exchange listing and so forth. But in reality, you have to do this. Otherwise, community, uh, which we call them contributors, but you know many pe- people call them investors, will put pressure on project. And this project is uh, is usually starts with a with a word when. And after, like, <laughs> when, when tokens sell, uh, when mainnet, and after, when exchanges. So when exchanges is a crucial question after you have your mainnet launched. And uh, we had an idea. Okay, guys, it's kind of hard to make a native token listed on major exchanges. Let's, uh, let's have it listed uh, you know, at least uh, on one big exchange. But also let's make our token tradable on DEXs, decentralized exchanges. And to make it tradable on DEXs, you have to have this token on Ethereum. So some projects start as ERC20 token and, and after they migrate from Ethereum to their own sidechain, like EOS, right? Or Tron. Uh, but some projects like POA, it's not uh, not very popular way, uh, but they start mainnet first and after they bring their native token into ERC20 representation on Ethereum mainnet. That's that's why we built our first bridge. And uh this bridge is uh, is exciting for, for 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 many reasons. Um so first of all the liquidity of, of of this side chain is on two networks at the moment, right? So 95% is on uh side chain itself and 5% on mainnet. This token is tradable on on exchanges on both sides. And this bridge is in operation since uh, May 2018 and in production since then without uh, outages, without security incidents.
0: So before you continue, because one thing I think we haven't really done yet is define exactly what a bridge is. And Frederick, I don't know if you wanna kind of start that off, like, do you wanna start off that definition? Because I know that Parity also has done some bridge work.
1: Sure, sure. First, I'd, I wanted to add a comment as well to what Igor was saying about the exchanges, because when an exchange goes to list something, Um, if it's a native token and they want to list that, they need to run a full node of that token. They need to integrate that into their whole framework, and this is a ton of work for an exchange. But an ERC-20 token, they already have all of the infrastructure to basically just flip a switch to list it. So that's why it's a lot easier for an exchange to list an ERC-20 token than a native token. Uh, Like They don't have to set up all this infrastructure to run extra stuff. But yeah, so bridges, I, I, it's a fascinating topic. It's something that's been going around for a long time. There's obviously now projects devoted entirely to like build out bridge infrastructure like Cosmos and Polkadot to some extent and and uh, what POA is doing. Um, and yeah, like we at Parity started this as we had the. POA proof of authority networks running in companies and various things. And these companies wanted to either interact with data in the mainnet in some way, or like we didn't really necessarily come to it from the token perspective. That was the first thing we built. That was sort of the easy thing. Um, but um, like a lot of them, they want to run a completely private network with you know their own stakeholders and own authorities. So what, what uh, POA network has been doing, like this DAO on top, essentially kind of drives POA towards POS where there, there's like another layer of, of governance and organization around who these authorities are. And it's not just like, um, you know, these three big banks are the authorities. So, um, uh, yeah, I think it makes total sense in that mod- model to then want to like bring a lot of this stuff back to, um, mainnet but yeah, a bridge, uh, as a concept, you know ethereum to ethereum bridge is one thing bridge to like bitcoin is something completely different so it's hard to talk about it as a generic mm-hmm. concept but a bridge in ethereum to ethereum is one smart contract on either end and a set of bridge validators and they, these can be the authorities of the poa network or they can be chosen in some crypto economic game uh, there's various strategies in, here in that example um,
0: like would so say it's like ERC20 Ethereum mainnet bridge to something else. There could be validators in a PoS system on one on the side chain, but what is the who are the validators exactly on the Ethereum mainnet cuz right now it's still proof of work.
3: So there are validators between networks and these validators between networks can be validators on of the side chain or can they can be independent party? Um, for example on uh, on xDai chain which we are going to talk about today, validators of the consensus are the same validators as validators of the bridge, and also what we added to the bridge is uh, governance, and also they are part of governance. So on the bridge, there is a three or four signatures required to relay an event between two networks, and uh, the same on Multisig, which manages the bridge. It's like three or four signatures are required to change list of validators. And uh, three or four signatures are required to modify the limits of the bridge. Uh, and also three or four signatures are required to shut down the bridge, right? Or upgrade the bridge. So it's the same model. The, the, the thing that I like about bridges that uh, setups uh, can be very different for different use cases. Uh, let me tell a little bit about uh, the history of, of the bridge and decisions we had. So we started first to explore um, a concept of bridge. Basically, there are two families of bridges. In one family, you relate part of the state of one network to another network. It's what BTC relay or Peace relay or Plasma-like relays are doing. And another family, it's an oracles-based bridge where oracles, a set of oracles observe events on both networks. And um, after a number of events per one transaction are what we call aggregated, they relay uh, a message in the form of transaction from uh, basically from network. To network it, within smart contracts, they can make lock and lock of tokens or mint and burn, and these different modes of uh, uh, bridge operation can give different scenarios. For example, uh, poa 20 bridge, where we move uh, native tokens from Pure network to ERC 20 representation, which we call poa 20. Native tokens are locked and unlocked, right? Uh, and validators uh, relaying these events create new tokens on Ethereum mainnet. So, they mint and uh, when tokens are laid back, they burn mint tokens. So, it's a lock on lock and mint and burn. If we set up ERC20 to ERC20 bridge, it can be lock on lock and lock on lock, right? It can be lock on lock, mint and burn, mint and burn and mint and burn.
0: So, you've just described two modes of bridges. You say that you'd have tokens on one chain and you want to bring them to another, and you can use this thing called a bridge where you either lock them. On one chain and you have them usable on this other chain and then when you want to bring them back you lock them on this other chain and they become usable on the main chain again the other one is this mint and burn and and you mentioned frederick that it's often two sets of smart contracts on either one of these chains that's right is that is that the full definition of what a bridge is
3: there are some additional uh pieces uh, of of this thing for example if you have uh, two smart contracts and you have validators between them you want to know? Do you have like enough balances uh, on these validators? Uh, do you have the same balance of uh, minted tokens, uh, <laughs> locked tokens? So that's why we created monitoring tool. Ah. Um, so that that's, that's some like third compo- component, right? So one is a set of smart contracts. Second is a set of uh, validators. Uh, bridge monitoring tool. Also, we provide um, deployment tools in the form of Ansible playbooks. So it's uh, good to have uh, the unified uh, distribution for validators. Um, that's uh, yeah, that's for for many components, and also the UI, right, which is important.
1: Hmm. So I think uh, conceptually uh, you're right, and I mean it's it's these sort of two smart contracts and and uh, authorities that oracles or whatever you want to call them, observe events on one network and make them happen on the other, whether it's locking or minting or whatever. But of course, yeah, as an actual product as a whole, it needs a lot more built out than just the smart contracts.
0: We used to talk about, and I don't know how this is exactly related or if this is actually the same thing, but is this an atomic swap? Like what's an atomic swap and what's a bridge? Are these different things?
1: Yeah, I would say so. An atomic swap typically means that uh, one thing is moving in one direction and another thing is moving in the other direction, oh. and you're guaranteed that both will happen or none will happen, whereas um, here you're really just moving something in one but, direction. But you have a claim, uh, like a bond. Uh, in another yeah, you can be guaranteed that you can move it back later, but not both are happening at the same time.
3: That's right.
0: So they're kind of, are they in the same family or are they completely unrelated?
1: I would say that an atomic swap is a type of bridge because like if you want to bridge Bitcoin to Litecoin, you use an atomic swap where you move Bitcoin on one side and you move the Litecoin on the other side and you're guaranteed that either both will happen or none will happen. And you do this through hash time lock contracts, blah, blah, blah.
3: But uh, yeah, I would say it's a type of bridge.
0: What do you think, Igor?
3: Uh, I agree. So (laughs) it's better to think that uh, atomic swap is a a part of bridge and not otherwise.
0: I don't exactly get, how do you move, how do you move Litecoin onto that chain though? How do you move it in that, even like in that example, without the freezing, without the mint and burn?
1: You don't move anything on the, so you just move Bitcoin to another Bitcoin address, you move Litecoin to another Litecoin address you're never actually like moving anything in between. I mean, you're not doing that in the other bridge either, but conceptually maybe you are, but you know, like in a, in an atomic swap, it's even less so conceptually.
0: Okay, cool. That actually cleared up something. You kind of mentioned this before. So the decentralized exchange kind of takes the role of moving tokens from one chain to another in a way Um, But these bridges, like, do they compete with exchanges? Do they replace a decentralized exchange? Do they work in tandem? Do decentralized exchanges use bridges?
3: Um, Yeah, many questions. Uh, (laughs) Sorry. I don't know where to start. Decentralized exchanges on Ethereum, it's a a way for a token of a sidechain to get liquidity on another network, right? Also, this bridge token can be listed on centralized exchange. And interestingly, this... uh, Bridge token can be listed uh, in one pair with native token. So for PoE, there is a pair on uh, one exchange called HitBTC where PoE can be traded for a wrapped form of PoE into PoE 20. Um, that's, uh, that's interesting. And, um, hmm. theoretically. So do they need, uh, um, do they need this type of, uh, bridges to operate? No, but, uh, can they get advantages? Uh, for sure, yes. Especially if access will move out of uh, Ethereum mainnet to, uh, let's say, sidechains or shards in the future, then uh, they can breach existing tokens to these sidechains and uh, and get advantages of uh, fast speed and scalable platform, um, which is POA right now. So that uh, for sure can be an advantage for, for decentralized exchanges and for centra- centralized too. I personally think that decentralized exchanges are more open to this type of innovation.
1: Yeah, I'd I'd say the holy grail for a decentralized exchange is to be able to trade between major networks. And so right now on a decentralized exchange, you you can trade wrapped Bitcoin and then be guaranteed to kind of get your Bitcoin out on the other side. And that is actually then bridged. Um, But this is pretty new, like a year ago when uh, everyone was working on bridges. Like the decentralized exchanges were just trading ERC20 tokens, and like only the native Ethereum one. Like it, it they, they didn't really bring on bring in other assets. Um, whereas the ideal goal for a decentralized exchange is to trade Zcash, Bitcoin, everything on the same place, and for that you need bridges because these networks will never like abandon their own consensus model and like opt into someone else's. So you need to bridge these networks to be able to trade them properly decentralized.
0: Austin, do you have any thoughts on any of this?
1: So I I just think, but my way of explaining a bridge,
2: uh, is, is it's just an account that you're sending it to. So, so we built Igor's bridge right into the burner wallet. So it's a nice little native thing. So someone can just hit like an exchange or a, uh, I think the button is exchange actually, but they basically just hit the exchange button and they can go, I want to go die to X die and they just kind of hit it, hit go and it does it for them. Right. So we're able to use his bridge without having to use his UI, which his UI is great. Right. But I want it to be native within mine. And, and all that's happening is basically I'm sending die from my wallet to his, his validator right? Or the other way around. So for me, it's just like sending a transaction. And a couple minutes later, it lands on the other side. So that's, that's how I think of it. Little little Oracle magic in the middle.
1: Yeah, so when you say exchange there, I mean, you are exchanging die for X die. So in that sense, it is an exchange. But um, you're it's a one to one exchange, you're not like speculatively trading in, in that sense of an exchange. So, yeah,
3: it depends on how you define your exchange. It gets a little bit more. Right, exactly.
2: Really. And there's not a lot of speculation when it's pegged
3: to the dollar, too. Yeah. <laughs> when we launched our first bridge in production, it was one of the first bridges uh, on the market, right? And uh, that, that was a very interesting to understand. Uh, is it legal, right? Do we need to make KYC and ML on both sides? Can we make it this way that uh, it will not constitute money transmission and will not be regulated? And those questions are still open, but we... We modified some things about this bridge that uh, we think that it doesn't constitute money transmission and we have legal opinion about it. And to make it not money transmission, uh, you have to you know, think about, are both networks centralized, right? Let's say they're not. And um, is this party which relay events centralized or not, right? So for, for all our bridges, we have two or three or three or four signatures required to, to relay an event. And um, these parties are independent from each other, they're non-affiliated with, uh, let's say, business activities. And also, we don't call this exchange because the exchange, as, as you mentioned, <laughs> uh, can apply these things. We call them self-transfers. And that's interesting, when you send funds over the bridge, you can receive it on other side only to your own wallet. So you can send it uh, to the next destination only by having private key. So it's like moving assets from from pocket to pocket. Because if Alice can send funds to Bob, more likely the breach will be a money-transmitting service and uh, we'll need to have KYC and ML on both sides, like regular mm-hmm. exchanges are doing, right? They have to have accounts, confirmations, verifications, a limit, suspicion activity reporting, complying with bank secrecy, local reg- uh, regulation, and so forth. So that's very important um, aspect for interoperability. And uh, I think that that like every project should think about this, like, are you money transmitter or not when you transmit tokens between networks?
0: I guess it helps to also define the difference between a decentralized exchange and a bridge, which is that, as you just described, in a bridge you are actually locking a token in your wallet on one side and moving it to your wallet on
1: another. Decentralized exchange in itself is only a smart contract on whatever network we're talking about, yeah. like Ethereum. It doesn't ever leave Ethereum. So you can't trade like... A, anything that is on another network in a decentralized exchange without a bridge
0: okay but that's not what i what i just mentioned was more like who where like who owns the accounts that hold the things and what i understand is like in the bridging you own the accounts on both sides and so you're not really exchanging anything you're just moving your own funds around whereas in a decentralized exchange are you are you also moving it between two accounts that you own or not
1: um you would move it to like you'd move your ether or your token x into the exchange into the contract you leave it in the hands of the contract yeah and then uh you know someone else puts their stuff in and then you know you get theirs and they get yours so i guess that's a money transfer but it's managed by the chain and by the contract so there's no entity to the money transfer.
3: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, The problem here is when you promote this type of solution, usually it comes from Twitter account or you know website, <laughs> and uh, they have some owners. But yeah, it's a different topic. What uh, um, what Austin mentioned, that uh, he, like, he sent funds to Validator, actually he sent funds to uh, the pool, uh, and uh, when uh, um, he sent this uh, am- amount uh, to this pool, which is like smart contract, Generates an event, and validators are listening to this event. So they are not uh, custodians of these funds. So they can make some operations with these funds within boundaries, right? We uh, added uh, limits and quotas for validators, uh, which is important for black swan type of events. And uh, I think this is advantage of pure implementation of interoperability that there is management functionality when. One multi-seq, which controls the bridge, can um, control the smart contracts, can define quotas and can define limits. What what might happen? Validators uh, operate the oracles uh, on different computers. They don't have access to each other computer, right? But uh, by social engineering or phishing, they can be hacked, right? And uh, in this situation, uh, when we deploy a bridge, we can specify what is the maximum damage bridge can handle per 24 hours. It's a daily quota. The uh, daily limit per day. Also, this limit can be set to zero, so validators will not be able to relay any events. And then um, this uh, this type of uh, multi seek can be operated by DAO, can be operated by some token holders, you know, crypto economic uh, mechanism. And uh, this can be embedded within like multi seek, which controls these operations, and there is no need to to modify smart contracts of the bridge itself.
1: All right, so. We've talked and mentioned XDAI a little bit and um, wait, the burner wallet and, and a couple of these things. Let's dig into what those things are. Uh, and I think useful, just like, let's start out with XDAI. What is it? Is it a network of its own? And how are those, you know, I assume it's bridged in some way because you were talking about it. So <laughs> let's let's dig into how that works.
3: So XDAI is a, is a sidechain to Ethereum. It's a new chain based on the Ethereum 1.0 protocol with a native currency in DAI. DAI is a stable token pegged to US dollar. And um, the market cap of uh, XDAI chain consists only from uh, bridge DAI. Bridge between Ethereum to XDAI locks and unlocks DAI on the uh, on Ethereum side and uh, mint and burn XDAI one to one on the XDAI side. The biggest advantage of this type of network is that we have a stable native token, first time in history. A good thing of having stable token is that balances are stable, platform execution is stable. Also, if you think about Ethereum it and Ethereum token for platform execution, you have a two-dimensional volatility. Right? So gas price is volatile and um, token price is volatile, right? Uh, in our first network, in PoE, we set uh, guest price fixed, so we removed one volatility. But you know, token price determined by, by by open market, so we cannot predict it. That that's why this type of non-volatile platform usage we can have only in a network with um, stable native token. What you just described,
0: let's go. I want to understand the, the workings exactly. Sure. You have Dai, which is an ERC twenty. That's right. That lives on the mainnet, mm-hmm. and you've now connected it. To a sidechain or like a new network with this thing called XDAI. And XDAI is not an ERC20. That's
3: right, it's a, it's a native token. Within uh, within parity implementation of Ethereum, there is a special system smart contract called block reward. And in block reward, you can define a reward per each block. We changed the implementation of this block reward. And uh, now the, the smart contract is connected to to the to the bridge, so when an event is relayed and event is uh, locking of die on a, on mainnet side, then this black reward means new XDAI die to a person who uh, deposited die on mainnet side.
0: I see, and this is what you just described, right? So on one side, you have on the mainnet you have the locking that's right but on the side chain you have this minting and burning so every time you lock on the mainnet you mint on the side chain
3: you mint native native tokens Ma-
0: native tokens and then you burn
3: meaning you you send it to to zero address which is like 0x0000 zero, uh, 000, okay. uh and uh, and unlock die on the uh, mainnet side
0: so who manages this side chain like cuz like so there's block rewards but there's no miners there
3: if there, are no, there are no miners. We use the same what we call proof of autonomy consensus, where at, at the moment there are four validators, and uh, each of them has equal right in governance process. And governance for us um, is very practical. Governance define validator set, like who are validators. So each validator can propose a change to add validator to the network or remove validator from the network. So in, in this model, there are four validators at the moment. Um, it's a uh, Giveth, POE, MakerDAO itself, and uh, Protofire, which is a uh, software development company. So four independent uh, validators. The network itself started with one validator and uh, it had uh, what we call trusted ceremony when first validator started the network and uh, generated first initial keys and distributed these keys to first initial validators and after burned uh, all uh, unused keys. So in in our setup, we had 12 initial keys, this master of ceremony distributed to three validators and after destroyed himself, basically.
0: Can you create new keys still, if you wanted to?
3: No, no. uh, These events are observable in our governance depth, so anyone can... Uh, you don't need to trust me. You can check uh, governance contracts, and you can see events which happened on the network. So I was a master of ceremonies, and I don't have uh, an option to generate new keys, and all keys which are generated uh, in advance are destroyed. So there are uh, four validators at the moment. Uh, each of them can add or remove new validator, and uh, three signatures are required to onboard new validator or kick out a validator from the network. The same set of validators are validators of the bridge and validators of multi-seq, which manage funds of the of the bridge, basically.
0: Okay. And so now we have a, a sidechain with a native token that's stable.
3: That's right. That's very exciting.
1: <laughs> There's obviously uh, a lot of, I don't know if you want to call it problems, but obviously it's a lot better than being completely centralized with one entity as in you know, a normal like Coinbase centralized exchange. Instead, you have four parties that are independent, but obviously it's not as decentralized as Ethereum itself. So like that's a thing that smart people say is decentralization is a scale. It's not a switch that's on or off. Um, But yeah, just crypto economically, obviously these validators have no incentive to add other validators. They would be doing so completely altruistically, I assume. And if there's I didn't actually know they had fixed gas price, because that also means like they're they're like you have no way to deal with congestion, for instance.
3: Um, Yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, uh, idea. And uh, we're in production for quite a long time, right? And um, we know that uh, the model is scalable horizontally. For example, you can create a new side chain like XDAI and some projects like Colu. Uh, already created a sidechain like XDAI, but with uh, their own CLN token as a, as a native token. And they set up a bridge between Ethereum and uh, their fuse network. Um, it's not a stable sidechain, but it's sidechain application specific sidechain. We know that the model is scalable with, a. Uh, like same security assumptions. We know that uh, contracts are audited, consensus is audited. Ethereum 1.0 is uh, battle-tested and peer-reviewed. So we know that we have these security assumptions and it can scale the network horizontally. Also, the network is quite easy to scale vertically. If we have professional validators, they're incentivized to get as much transactions as possible in the network, right? like valid transactions. And if we think about uh, incentive mechanisms for validators to, to validate blocks, there is no block reward for them, right? They can collect the uh, transaction fees, which are small and um, basically introduced uh, to protect from uh, denial of service attacks. Their uh, motivation of validators uh, in future will be a small percentage of fee when you want to convert XDI back to DAI. So from DAI to XDAI is free, but if you want to go back to, let's say, convert DAI um, to, I don't know, US dollar or a- other uh, tokens, then for the exit, you have to pay a small fee. and um, We don't set it up, but uh, it will be um, very small in comparing to you know other services. Um, so that, that, that's their economic model. And as we know, everything is temporal, right? And <laughs> right now, sidechains are a temporal solution for Ethereum scalability. It started as a temporal solution for Ethereum scalability. But now we see that sidechains plus bridges plus apps as Austin built, are enablers. I call them enablers because they enable new use cases which we didn't have before, and relatively inexpensive. So if you combine all expenses we had on X and it's it's much less than average ICO, right? <laughs> it's much much less. And time frame wise, it started on if e- if e- 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 Berlin, and it's like less than half a year. And uh, so many like people around excited about you know burner wallet, die, stable sidechain. The idea itself, depth specific uh, sidechain. So that's amazing that we can make uh, this enabling technologies by combining existing tools that we have already. And that's why I personally in Ethereum ecosystem, and that's why I'm staying here and not moving to to, to other ecosystems.
0: You're not going to Tron anytime soon. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, not to Tron. <laughs> yeah. I
1: think it's a cool use case especially this xdai thing. It's obviously trading off scalability for security uh but for a lot of dapps that's totally fine and that's that sort of yeah the trade off that you have to make that the triangle of security scalability and decentralization.
3: <laughs> uh, as as you can see on our forum uh Uh, MakerDAO engineers asked if we can make uh, 1500 transactions per second on XDI XDAI chain clone and uh, there are multiple parties interested in, in experimenting with this type of bigger XDAI chain type of network.
0: I think this has definitely given us a good look at what XDAI is. Now let's move on to this burner wallet. Austin, what's the burner wallet?
2: So the burner wallet is basically a public-private key pair that lives in your browser. So uh, kind of like the trade-offs, uh, like Frederick said, how there is kind of a gradient of decentralization. We're willing to make these trade-offs to go into XDI to move stuff around quickly. Same thing with the burner wallet. It kind of takes that another step where, first of all, if you want to get into crypto, you've got to like download a wallet. And you're the first thing you're going to get hit with is they're going to ask you for a 12-word seed phrase and they're going to make you type it back in and... And that's a really good idea if you're gonna have a lot of money, right? But let's let's make some trade-offs to get the UX smoother. And the the burner wallet basically just creates you an account as you hit it, and it's just a web page in your phone. Then you can use that key pair to uh, transact on XDAI or even back on the main chain too, it's just a little slower. So, so with the XDAI, I know we've talked about it, but let's just do a, a TLDR of XDAI. Basically you've got five second block times, right? So your transactions are gonna go super fast. The the native token is die, so low cognitive overhead. You don't have to think about what is 0.001, like 0.001 is a tenth of a penny, right? Nice. Oh, it's and X die
0: though. It's not die. It's related. It's the native exactly. token is X yes. die. Yeah.
2: Right. It. But you could quickly bridge in and out, right? Oh, true, At any true. time you can move in and out, right? So if I if I have 10 X die, I can have 10 Die in two minutes, right? So so we've got quick block times, we've got low cognitive overhead, and then we it's just super cheap, right? So the the gas price to like deploy a contract is like 0.00004 or something like that, right? So so it's super cheap to deploy the contracts. So then on top of all of those benefits that you have, we've got a burner wallet, which is just a web wallet that comes up in your browser and immediately lets you start moving money around in five seconds. So that's basically the concept of the burner.
0: I know that like, I think it was at Aracon that Igor demoed the burner wallet to me. And it was one of the... Funnest demos I've ever seen in the space because it worked really fast, and I didn't have to download anything.
2: Right, I think we're ready for these trade-offs, right? Like the UX is is finally like we're finally ready for this kind of UX. I, I made like a junky little HTML version basically on the plane to Prague for DevCon, and when I got there, I showed a few people. I was like, Hey, look, I can send I can send you this new th- this hard spoon X die came out, and I can send you some of the currency and. And I sent it to a few people and they were all like, whoa, that's super cool. And immediately (laughs) I was like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, this is (laughs) great.
0: It's like, oh my God, it works like all of the apps that we've known for all of these years.
2: Exactly. And
0: there's not huge latency and weird things we have to write down on pieces of paper and hide them away.
2: But it needs to, you need to be afraid of this though, right? Basically that, that seed phrase or that private key that protects this money is stored in local storage on your phone. And so we had to come up with a name that was very scary. And someone on Twitter was like, call it a burner. And it, it, you know, you kind of think about the old Baltimore cop show, but. It's it's a really good example of like what, like the name really defines what's going on there, right? Don't put a bunch of money into a burner. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that, that's a good point. I mean, I think that's uh, like my Ether wallet kind of started at the same place where it's just like, we're going to have everything in a browser. It's going to be super fast. And you like, you can just send tokens around. Then all of a sudden someone is sending like $5 million on my Ether wallet with all of their stuff in their browser and uh are you are you still scared that like people will start using this with significant amounts and suddenly you know x die is, is worth forty billion dollars and it's very you know plausible that someone will try to attack it
2: uh, yeah yeah it's i mean it's scary we gotta we gotta provide the education around that right so first of all, I think I own. I think i own like maybe a fourth of the entire market cap of xdai and we've been joking around since it will be used at ETH denver for buying hot dogs and stuff that i i'm a self-proclaimed hot dog whale but (laughs) but what what we what we need to do basically is people are buying into xdai we need to be careful to do good on the education side right so so as someone uses the wallet basically we'll we'll get you in we'll let you use it we're not going to hit you with a seed phrase but we can tell when you have more than $30 or $40 behind that. And at that point, we need to provide that education. We need to slide down the, same, the thing that says, hey, let's let's learn about seed phrases now. You've got enough money in here. And then when it gets to $300 or $400, then it's even even scarier, right? So the education is going to be very important on our part to, to kind of ease people into that, right? We're, we're kind of at the top of the funnel when we talk about just like we've got a web page that you're going to to move funds, and then it's it's going to be up to us to provide the education to move people through that funnel to get them onto uh, a better wallet with better security and 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 probably even a better network. But I wouldn't say that in front of Igor. Next <laughs> dice break.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's what I think. Uh, individual user education is super important, obviously. Uh, but even if you do that well, and let's say no one has more than ten bucks in it, if there's you know. A million people with 10 bucks in it that's the network is worth 10 million dollars may it might not be a problem if there's a hundred million people who have 10 bucks in it uh you know suddenly bribing those four validators might not actually be that hard like at what point will giveth you know will they collude with the others for a billion dollars <laughs> maybe how many hot dogs? Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so yeah igor do you want to answer that yeah so we, we had the uh we will see more chains like XDI, and uh, each chain will have some different set of validators, different uh, um, you know entities, different countries, and uh, they will be aggregated in something like you know Infura. Because uh, let's ask Austin. Austin, let's say if we have two networks like XDAI, is it possible to connect both of them in Burner world and query balances of two RPCs?
2: Oh, absolutely! Yeah.
3: So the burner is basically made for like
2: plug and play RPCs, right? So, yeah. so yeah. yeah, we can bring in seven twenty ones from the main net. We can bring in, and I'm trying to build it like that. So, so there's like a config file that gets plugged into it, where you can pick the RPC, you can pick the tokens, you can pick the balances, and just kind of have them all lay there.
3: Yeah, I mean, if you, if you have two networks like XDA, can we connect in one Burner world and let's say? You query balances on two networks, and like one network is like default network where you have more funds. It's 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 all uh, much easier to make uh, on like uh, on wallet side, right? Uh, then on the network side, how to integrate charts and how to how to move balances.
0: Are, are you saying that like as soon as XDI sidechain one has like maybe ten thousand <laughs> XDI tokens <laughs> in it, you switch to a new one which has different validators? Like this, uh, is, is that not, something you could do? I mean, that's a very sh- high number of very small volume sidechains. Yeah, that's that,
3: that's that's what we discussed when we thought about enabling, right? Um, recently, we thought about um, a way where like, locked die can be used uh, as as a loan on a platform like Compound or you know uh, MakerDAO platform itself, and uh, get some uh, revenue from borrowing this uh, uh, locked die. Um, but let's say we don't want to, um, to test it on, uh, on, on production, uh, XDAI first. Yeah. Let's launch one more XDAI chain, right? And, um, and make, uh, incentive for merchants to sell something on XDAI because, um, when you sell something for XDAI, uh, you can, you can set lower price because this locked die will be loaned to someone and revenue from, from this, uh, from this loan will go back to the network. And uh, will incentivize merchants to decrease price, right? So you can uh, basically you can say, yeah, here is uh, one product for uh, one um, I don't know, US dollar, or for zero point ninety seven XDI. Um, and uh, this type of experiment most likely will be on a on a new side chain. Uh, I have a. Like, I know that some people want to have XDAI but for different stable tokens. Because you know everyone is talking about uh, XDAI, but no one is talking about I don't know X Tether, uh, right? Um, I'm not I'm not saying that Tether is, is interested in it, but you know other stable tokens might be interesting in in this type of uh, you know smart contract platform powered by by their native token. Uh, and uh, by Burner Wallet, so that's 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 also a field of um, having multiple payment systems uh, connected by by one UI like Burner Wallet. And as Austin mentioned, it's quite easy to to integrate multiple payment networks. Mm. So I think this risk will will naturally <laughs> spread and decentralised uh, across multiple chains. That that's also a beauty of, uh, of of side chains because you can uh, you can have multiple chains with. Uh, same security assumptions.
1: I was curious uh, on the burner wallets, what's the backend for it? So you meant like, for instance, integrating multiple RPCs, Um, you know, is it Infura backed or are you running your own servers with nodes or what are you using?
2: Yeah, it depends on the RPC endpoint. So for Mainnet, we do talk to Infura, we we can connect to our own nodes or we can connect to uh, die.poa.network, it's it's all about, you know, who <laughs> who has the best uptime for us, right? So the burner is just a static website. You can download it from the GitHub repo and run it. So every the backend is basically all these different RPCs and, and chains. So to, to to talk a little bit more like this is this is a giant experiment, right? Like XDAI is just a hard spoon of Ethereum. It's an exact copy of Ethereum. So, so to speak to that a little bit more, you can do Constantinople type stuff on XDAI now, right? So you can do Create2, Igor and team deployed Constantinople out ahead of everybody else. And we could play around with it on XDAI where, where it's a little less risky, right? So you can do a Create2 counterfactual deployment on XDAI right now and That's cool. But what else? Right? Like, so when we start talking about ETH 2.0, there's, there's going to, it's, it's going to be really awesome to have these little playgrounds to, to dive into a side chain where the whole market cap is $5,000 and we can play around with a lot of these different techniques. Right? And along with that, the, the the front end is a giant experiment, right? We can play around with let's let's make sure that people understand the UX, and let's get it translated to uh, different languages, and let's also maybe create a side chain that's pegged to a currency in uh, a solid South American country, maybe not a hyperinflated South American country, but th- this is all just an experiment to see how we get people to use it and how well it works, and and how we kind of drive adoption and usage and and all of that
1: yeah it, it, this kind of goes back a little bit to an, an episode we've talked about uh, where we talked about testnets uh and we talked quite a lot about like value bearing testnets and that being a thing that that's kind of nice and something that you 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 want because you can't really test something on a testnet unless there's value like no there's no incentive to break anything uh you know if you're building a dao on a testnet and you want to try that out you kind of want some value in that dao to ensure that it, it works as like the, you can't test crypto economic incentives or anything like that without value. So it's almost a little bit like a value bearing testnet. And uh, yeah, I think it allows for a lot of experimentation, like you guys said, which is good.
0: I think this idea too, like, so the burner wallet, as I mentioned, like when I saw it, I was just like, wow, this is so easy. This is so great. You've sort of like fixed a few, a few problems in that small build. I know it's, I mean, not you alone, but a few problems have been fixed by this, which is a stable coin, which you can like actually buy kind of real world things from potentially like real world vendors who will accept it because it's going to be consistent. And like you mentioned, you've gotten rid of that problem of needing when you're using a stable coin like die needing ETH to send it around. And I have to say, like I had that, I had that experience firsthand when I was at the blockchain week in San Francisco And I went to a MakerDAO drinks thing, and they were giving away dye. And I was like, cool, dye. But I didn't have anything set up, so I had to set up the the wallet, put the dye on the thing. And then I realized I got there. I was like, "Okay, cool, I got it. And I went to pay for something with this dye. And then they were like, oh, no, no, you also need ETH. So then I had to go to somebody else. And then they had to send me some ETH so that I could do this thing and I felt that clunkiness. And so obviously when I saw the xDai in a browser, I completely felt like, wow, that, that is smooth. And you've also added in, at least the version I saw, the ability not only to work in xDai, but also move it into Dai and even generate gas or something like you've, you've been really thinking how to, it's like awesome playground, small amounts, and then bring it back to the mainnet using
2: bridges. So yeah, exactly. Well, it, it kind of, a lot of this started. I think it was, I was, I think I was in San Francisco. I don't remember where I was exactly, but I was at a dinner with plenty of Ethereum, uh, wise people, right? <laughs> people probably have plenty of Ethereum all sitting around at the table and it was time to split the check and. And someone was like, well, we'll Venmo you. And it's like, no, what? No, this is, we are Ethereum people. What do you mean you'll Venmo me? And so that's where a lot of this started. And then talking with Alejandro, who is working in a lot of Venezuelan countries, like it all kind of came together like, oh, we, we need to make this like really, really, really easy to use. It's, it's all about the, the user experience, right? So once it, once we had it in the browser and it was working, we just started holding all these events. Uh, they're cypherpunk speakeasies, but basically you, you have just a phone or an iPad or any kind of device and you create this pop-up point of sale system where we just walked into this, uh, bar in Boulder and we, uh, took their iPad that they had sitting there and we pointed it at xdi.io, and we hit the receive button and they had a POS system. And then, at the door, we would hand out these paper wallets that were loaded up with some tokens that they just basically you shoot the tokens with your phone. And now you have ten dollars and you walk over to the bar and you scan the beer that you want, and it shows up on their screen. It shows up on your screen, and you get a beer in hand. So we just rounded off all the sharp edges along the way, and we did this over and over again, where someone would say, "Oh, I wish I had you know a max button here. I wish this you know, I wish this form would save the information for me. I typed in the number and then I hit scan. And when I came back, the number wasn't there. Right. That's, that's been like my last month has been just watching people use this thing and writing down every like scribbling all sorts of notes and just watching
1: people use it to, to try to make it as smooth as possible. That's a great, great story in, in user studies and, and like, Actual UX development.
0: Frederick, I love that link that you just made, though, to the value-bearing testnet, because the speed at which something like this can be used and adopted, like, it's amazing. But like you said, like, if it gets too big, then there's a security issue. But if you can keep it actually small, then you can just have a shit ton of activity where there's no reason to, like, break it in a sort of a bit of a safe place where all of this user testing could potentially be done and then when other solutions come in that can actually protect larger volume sidechain stable things then maybe the UX will be there cuz i know that's been a huge complaint we've done a few episodes on like the issues of users not you know user experience
2: and being able to bridge in and out of these sandboxes
3: in a minute is is super powerful
0: maybe do you think these sidechains could replace the testnet
3: I think they can be like a staging environment uh, in, uh, in, 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 in most software development uh, scenarios. Uh, usually we have a staging network, test network, and production network, right? In in crypto space, uh, we didn't have this um, staging environment, and uh, I don't think this side sidechains will be replacements, so, but uh, they can be used uh, to test uh, crypto-economic uh, behavior and incentive, uh, which is hard to test uh, on on uh, testnets. Uh, also, I'd like to add uh, about uh, new features of Burner Wallet. Okay. Uh, <laughs> With uh, we, we, you, you actually you asked uh, Austin about this feature, and uh, I, I'd, I'd like I'd like to explain it if, if possible, right? Uh, when you get your XDI, right, usually you want to convert it to DAI, right, because DAI is tradable on exchanges and uh, DAI is uh, is more stable than XDI, so to speak. And, uh, when you convert XDAI into DAI within Burner Wallet, uh, like a week ago, you're locked in your Burner Wallet because you don't have, uh, Ether to send DAI back, right? To, to new addresses. And, uh, and now there is a feature where you can sell part of your, of your XDAI and get some Ethereum. So theoretically, I don't know, Austin, can, can we send, uh, uh, Ethereum from, from Burner Wallet right now? Sure. Yeah. So what he's explaining is basically the exchange yeah.
2: and uh, it goes from ETH to DAI to XDAI. And then if you run a native token on XDAI, this is a good way to explain it. We keep saying that XDAI is a token, but w- do you consider Ethereum a token or is it like a negative native currency? I would say ether
1: it, is a token. Yeah.
2: <laughs> okay. Ether is a token. Okay. Yeah. So ETH. So, so basically I think of DAI as a token that runs on ETH. And so what we've done is we've deployed a token for ETH Denver called BuffaDAI. And that runs on XDAI. So if you think about the conversion process, you've got ETH, and then that goes into die, and then die goes into XDAI, and then XDAI goes into die, right? And you have all those different bridges and rule sets that can be tweaked depending on how you want to uh, run those. But- and
0: actually, to the user, they're going to go the other direction, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to start with the, what do you call it? Buffer die? Bu- no. Buffer
2: die. Like so Buffer Corn is the is the mascot of Eat Denver. So Buffer die. Oh.
0: <laughs> I keep hearing Buffy die. Buffy I'm die. Like, yeah, Buffy
2: die. Yeah, I don't I don't know how to how to uh pronounce Vampire it. Vampire but... Slayer. <laughs> Buffy. <Cool>. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> but uh so I think I'm hearing it wrong. <laughs> but uh okay, so but they're gonna hear it, they're gonna get it from the other direction. So I I still can't yes. pronounce this. Buffer yes. die? Buffer Buffy, die Buffy to die. Yes. Buffy die to X die, X die to die, die, and then die, die. No, wait, actually, no, it's, but you're going ERC-20 to native. Yep. Native to ERC-20, yep.
2: ERC-20 to native. That's exactly right. Huh. Yeah, And and it, why? All, and it all happens <laughs> natively right in the burner wallet, right? So you can go from Buffa die to ether by just hitting buttons right in the, the UI within the, the burner. So why, you ask? <laughs> so let's say what we want is to stimulate an economy at East Denver right we want this pop up economy where we can have these food trucks that can be accepting buffadi a token that we just made up and that that buffadi needs to have value but we don't want participants to just take their 30 bucks or whatever they get and just off ramp it and walk away so what we do is we have a special contract that says the token that we've minted to all these users can only be off ramped by the vendors. Anyone can, can on ramp some into it and they can off ramp the amount that they on ramped or w- whatever. They, they can get out what they put in, right? They can withdraw what they deposited, but the, the main, um, the main balance that we minted them can only be taken out by the vendors, right? And we can just do that with a simple, a few simple lines in a smart contract. Huh. So what we, what we've done is we've minted this token that only really has value to the vendors they let people buy those things with the tokens. We don't have to have a bunch of money wrapped up in it because we only have to off-ramp what the vendors off-ramp and, and that's what we pay them for. So it allows us a lot of flexibility with the tokens. And we did the same thing with the speakeasy. You walk in the speakeasy, you get $10 and it shows up as $10, right? It says dollars right there in your phone, but really it's just a token I made. And at the end of the night, after everybody is paid, then I can just go up to the bar and look at the balance on the iPad and, and I off-ramp them to fiat from there. It's really cool.
0: It sounds like there's a lot going on around XDAI and around the Burner Wallet. How about you guys just give us a little bit of an update about what's coming up?
2: Okay, so basically Eat Denver is going to be the trial by fire for the Burner Wallet. No matter how many little 30-person events I have, when 3,000 people all show up and start using this thing I I keep saying on Twitter that it's going to go up in fire because I keep using the fire icon for the burner wallet, hoping that that like going up in flames is a good thing, but it could be a total disaster. Hopefully not, but we'll see. So after ETH Denver, basically, uh, there's a lot of really cool things on the roadmap for the burner because what we have is sort of this, this easy to get to Web3 provider and so from there we we've been thinking about ways that we could use this for other onboarding right not just a wallet but for dapps if a dapp can have a wallet that's integrated into their page so we at Gitcoin, we always have this kind of gasless Gitcoin unicorn project that's out on the uh, out on the horizon. Well, if we deploy wallet.gitcoin.co, and it's a burner wallet, and then we iframe that in and inject it, then basically you could have a gasless experience where you go to Gitcoin, it detects that you don't have Web3, a little burner wallet slides down, you drop five cents into it or something like that, and you're good to run for a while. And you can, instead of just having like every single pop-up to sign things, since it's only a nickel you can kind of just put it on autopilot and let it go. So going back to like those games that I built about a year ago, where you were constantly hitting that dialogue, if I build a wallet into that, or or the other way, not just iFrame, but if it's like a sign-in with Burner and we use post messages to kind of talk between the Burner and the app, basically you you kind of create this MetaMask that lives in the browser, and then you can kind of just send it $2 and you could go play my game ass, and just put it on... Uh, autopilot, and now you're just clicking buttons and building ships, and you're you're sailing ships, and you're going fishing, and all of that stuff that was kind of impossible last year because it was kind of clunky now becomes possible with with this injected Web three that comes from the burner wallet
0: and collectibles
2: and collectibles, yeah, <laughs> we're 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 going to do collectibles at ETH uh, Denver, and we'll see how that goes. But yeah, that since since XDI is kind of a sandbox for Ethereum. And, and the burner is kind of a sandbox for a wallet, it lets us iterate really quickly. Like we, we were able to deploy collectibles, like I started working on it two days ago and it's live in production now. And to be able to do that on a wallet would be really hard if I had to like ship that to an app store and stuff.
0: Cool, what about you Igor?
3: Uh, for, the, for the bridges, uh, we're working on the incentive model, um, how to take fees uh, when uh, funds are moving from, from network to network. Uh, and uh, this is important to keep validators data incentivized. Um, The next big feature is uh, arbitrary message bridging, where um, any arbitrary message can be bridged between networks, and that's important for for games and uh, applications with uh, metadata. We have multiple requests for this type of functionality, and uh, we are working on it right now. and, uh, for, for XDAI, the, the most important is to have this, uh, seamless experience, uh, as long as, uh, as possible. We make, uh, our infrastructure, uh, like more auto-scalable parts that we are, we're providing. For example, our PC endpoints are auto-scalable and we plan to bottle test them in each Denver. And what's interesting, um, work we plan to do with, uh, bridge for XDAI is, uh, we plan to implement um, some form of uh, ZK ERC20 token standard. So you can deposit um, a, a node, uh, like the ZK node uh, on the Ethereum side, and you will get uh, anonymous um, uh, XDAI on XDAI side. So this will provide uh, some plausible deniability to this burner wallet transactions. <laughs> and uh, especially if you burn your private key after usage. So a user can um, Deposit a ZK ERC20 on uh, Ethereum side and uh, get uh, this anonymous uh, XDAI. Use it, burn it, and uh, from from burner wallet side, there is literally no changes required, right? Because it's the same XDAI, but with uh, like different uh, source of uh, origin. So that's 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 our plan for for bringing privacy transactions. That's cool because you can have privacy tra- private transactions without actually implementing any zero knowledge uh, on XDAI side, because it will be uh, on, on Ethereum side.
2: Yeah, it's really exciting. I I was talking to the Aztec guys and I was trying to think of how we could get Aztec into the burner wallet and I've been thinking, man, we're going to have to deploy Aztec over to XDai and then Igor comes along he's is like, "Let's just bridge them." And so that this we we can really kind of experiment out on the edge with what we could do with this stuff, but then kind of pull it back and look at the other side at the top of the funnel is how we how we educate new users, right? Now that we have lots of users coming in and they can just open up a web browser and have a wallet, that's another thing that we need to be really pushing the envelope on is educating them and getting them into a better wallet right like after you've used the burner for a little bit you know now it's okay to 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 give them a download for a better app and now they're okay you know it's not it's not you at dappy hour just trying to get your beer you're actually trying to protect your funds and now it's time to slow down and learn seed phrases and download apps and and i think that's something that we would really want to push with the burner wallet is just that education play and and kind of better on ramping for people into, you know, initiated crypto.
0: I really like that you're introducing it that way because I think the the concern and how likely it is that people will just like accidentally delete their cash. Like I hope that that comes through constantly that this is playground, that this is like play game money almost like <laughs> not to be taken too seriously, but I do think that the ease of use will make it popular. Thank you. Cool. Well, listen guys, I want to say thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and taking us through this journey from proof of authority to proof of autonomy to bridges to XDAI to burner wallets. It was a long journey, but it was it's really, really exciting what you guys are working on. It sounds like there's a lot of potential in it.
2: Thank, thank you so much for you. having us on. This yeah. has been great.
0: And uh, good luck at Eat Denver, because that seems to be the show this is where it's happening
2: (laughs) it's gonna go it's gonna go up in (laughs)
0: flames (laughs) 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 all right so thanks again and to our listeners thanks for listening
1: thanks for listening